first 40 days, January 1 through February the 9th. We're going to kick off every day at 6 o'clock online. We'll, you can watch it live. You can watch it as recording. And we're going to give you a little two or three minute jump start for the day. That's the 40 days for life eternal. Now, Bible investigation. Look on your announcement sheet. We got some really interesting questions coming up this month. The questions keep on coming in. Um, right now, we're running about two weeks behind. In other words, I've got about two or three weeks ahead on questions. Um, we have questions right now booked all the way through, I believe, December the 26th. And uh, so uh, we got those questions still coming in. Some really interesting questions for Bible investigation. Now, tonight is going to be different. Tonight, we're going to talk about those pages in between your testaments. You know, where the Old Testament ends with the book of Malachi. And the New Testament begins with the book of Matthew. In your Bible, most likely, there's a, a page or two, probably blank. We're going to use those to put our major keys on those, okay? But it's probably blank. We're going to talk about those blank pages. Because there is a gap of roughly 400 years. The Old Testament ends in approximately 425. The books of Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, along with Ezra and Nehemiah, those five books are for the benefit of the Jewish people who come back to the promised land. Malachi, or maybe Nehemiah, we don't know which one, is the very last book written. And that's around 425 B.C., Jesus will not be born until around 6 to 5, maybe 4 B.C. So we've got roughly 425 years, give or take a few, a couple of decades. But we got over 400 years of silence from God. But that silence shapes the world that Jesus comes to. Because that 400 years is going to be impacted primarily by a guy, you might call him Al, but he was really known as Alexander. Alexander the Great. Let's look on our chart. If you have a chart, look on our chart. We start off in... 250 to 175 B.C. Now, tonight's lesson is not going to have a lot of scriptures. Okay, this is different. But we're talking about what happens between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, why do we want to note what happens here? We want to note the Septuagint. Because the Septuagint changed the way people looked at the Old Testament. A guy named Ptolemy, P-T-O-L-M-E-Y, the second. He was the son of Ptolemy. He was the second. He authorized 72 Jewish scholars 
to do a Greek translation of the Old Testament. We call that translation the Septuagint. And that becomes the dominant, dominant form of God's word for the Jewish people. When Jesus quoted the Old Testament, more times than not, when Jesus quoted the Old Testament, he quoted from the Septuagint. Did you know that? We know he quoted from the Septuagint because the Septuagint, you know, it's kind of like um, if you uh, are reading, say, uh, a King James and a New King James and maybe, uh, uh, say, uh, a New American Standard. You can tell there's a little difference there. You can kind of tell, well, that one has to be a King James and that's probably a New American, you know, a little bit different flow. Well, the Septuagint had a little bit different flow. And when Jesus quoted Old Testament passages, especially when he was in Galilee, he quoted the Septuagint. Why? Because that was the one that people would know. The Hebrew text, the Hebrew text was only used at the temple and the synagogue. In fact, some of the synagogues up in the Galilee actually use the Septuagint over the Hebrew text. Now, how did this come about? It was because of Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great took on the Persians in 330 B.C. and he whooped them. As the country boy says, he whooped them and he whooped them bad, okay? Before he took on the Persians, he, he kind of detoured and went south. He went down and took on Egypt, conquered Egypt. On the way back, the Jewish people kind of welcomed him to Jerusalem. He claimed Jerusalem for the Greek empire, then went up, defeated the Persians, and went as far, went as far as India before he eventually died of some bug. We don't know what bug he died of, but he died in 323 B.C. Now, that's important because this is providence of God. Because with Alexander the Great, his empire spread the Greek language. And the Greek language, even to this day, is probably the most exact language, the most exact human language ever created. This was God's providence to have a language like that for his New Testament law. So we have a world that's now dominated by the Greek empire. Alexander dies from some bug. We don't know what bug it was. And his kingdom is really divided between four main generals. We're only interested in two of them. A guy named Seleucid, S-E-L-U-C-I-D, he took over Syria. He took over that part of the Greek empire. A guy named Ptolemy, P-T-O-L-M-E-Y, he took over Egypt. Now, those two generals and their descendants are going to fight over Israel. Why? Why would they be, even be concerned for Israel? Why would they be interested in Israel? 
It's because of commerce. It's because of trade. Because the world as we know it then, there was two major trade routes. Just two major trade routes. One went south down into Egypt. And Egypt was kind of the breadbasket of the world. A lot of the grain for the Roman Empire would come from Egypt. Okay, So the one road, one trade route went down to Egypt. The other trade route went to India. Now you're going to say to me, Michael, India is a poor country. Why would they be interested in India? India back then was not a poor country. India was the source of almost all jewels. You've heard of the Hope Diamond? India. You've heard of the British crown jewels, the crown the queen wears? That's from India. Almost all of the precious stones came from India back then, plus most of the spices. Now why would they need spices? Food preservation. How do you preserve food? One way you preserve food is with spices. And they need to preserve their food, especially their meats. So they would smoke the meat and use those spices to preserve the meat. So you've got those two, you've got those two major highways, two major trade routes. Guess where they intersected? Guess where they intersected? Israel. They intersected close to Megiddo. You've heard of Armageddon? That is a reference to Megiddo. Now, both Ptolemy and Seleucid wanted, they wanted Palestine. They wanted Israel. At first, Ptolemy and his descendants ruled over Palestine. And they were, they were pretty easy folks. They said, you can keep on practicing Judaism. You can keep on doing your thing. As long as you pay your taxes and everyone's, you know, keeps the peace, we're okay. The Seleucids were a little different. They wanted to convert everybody over to the Greek way of life. We call that Hellenization. Hellenization. So when the Seleucids took over, there was going to be a lot of fireworks because they're going to try to convert the Jews over to the Greek religions. We have a guy named Matthias Maccabees. He rises up. He leads what we call the Maccabean Revolt. He eventually, he eventually gets the Greeks, the Seleucids, out of Palestine. That's around 135 B.C. For the next... 70, 80 years, we've got Jewish rule. We call that the Hasmonean dynasty. But then in 63 BC, we got two members of the Hasmonean dynasty. They're squabbling over the throne. They asked Pompey, the Roman general Pompey, oh, would you mind coming over here and settling our dispute? The Romans said, well, sure, we'll come over with our army. In fact, we'll come over and just take over, okay? So Rome took over in 63 B.C. They had Herod the Great's father 
Antipater to rule as a puppet ruler in Jerusalem. Herod the Great, Antipater's son, takes over in 37 B.C. and he dies, we're pretty confident, he dies in 4 B.C. So we know that Jesus had to be born at least by late spring of 4 B.C. Because remember, Herod the Great was on the throne when Jesus was born. Now, this is all happening during that 400 period between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, Herod the Great was called the Great not because he was a wonderful guy. He wasn't. He was a rascal. But he did a lot of building. And in 20 B.C., to kind of appease the Jewish people, he started a renovation of the temple. How many of you have ever seen what's called the Wailing Wall or the Western Wall? You know, pictures of the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall. You got people doing this in front of it, Jewish guys with little beanie caps on. That is actually a retaining wall. He expanded the mount on which the temple was built. He made a little small mount into a much, 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 much bigger mount by bringing in retaining walls and a lot of dirt. The western wall is one of those retaining walls that held up the new and improved temple mount. That temple was completed in 64 AD. The Jewish people got to enjoy it for six years. Then Rome destroyed it, got rid of it. Now, Jesus is born before Herod the Great dies. So he's born sometime between 7 B.C. up to 4 B.C. Some people say 5 B.C., some people say 6 B.C. We don't know really for sure. When Herod the Great died, his kingdom was divided up by Rome between the three sons of Herod the Great. Herod Antipapus, he gets the Galilee. And because Jesus mainly teaches in the Galilee, Jesus has some um, thoughts that we'll look at when we get into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He has some thoughts about Herod Antipapus. Now, the other two sons, that's uh, Archelaus. He had uh, Jerusalem for about 10 years. And the other son was Herod Philip. He got the Decapolis, the Decapolis area, the Gentile area. Now, who was the emperor during the ministry of Jesus? That was Emperor Tiberius. He ruled from 14 A.D. to 37 A.D. The Roman governor during the ministry of Jesus, of course, was Pilate. Jesus started his ministry around 29 A.D., plus or minus, you know, we can't say for sure, but around 29 or so A.D. Now, Jesus is crucified somewhere around 33 A.D. Once again, don't know for sure the exact date. But around that time, Paul, better known as Saul at that time, became a Christian around 35 A.D. We know that by uh, backtracking from his death. Paul began his missionary journeys probably around 43 A.D. 
He wrote, <clears throat> he wrote 1 Thessalonians, maybe around 50 A.D. He also wrote Galatians. That's another one of his early books. He wrote that also around 50 A.D. Mark is probably the first of the four gospel writers. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark is probably the first of the four gospel writers. He wrote maybe around 55 or so A.D. Rome executed Peter and Paul somewhere around 64 A.D. And the Jewish people revolted against Rome starting in 66 A.D. They started their revolt in Sepphoris. Sepphoris was the closest major city to Nazareth. Uh, Sepphoris was where uh, Joseph, as a carpenter, would have worked. Keep in mind, a carpenter is not like a carpenter we know today. It's more like a stonemason. But Joseph would have found work in Sepphoris, the, the city closest to Nazareth. The revolt started in 66 A.D., and it ended at Masada in 73 A.D. Rome destroyed Jerusalem in 70 A.D., that was led by a father and a son, Titus and Vespasian. Titus and Vespasian both became emperors over Rome. Now, John is probably exiled to Patmos around 85 AD, and the New Testament, the New Testament is completed with John's last book. His last book was either Revelation or the Gospel of John. We don't know which one came first and which one came last, but those two books were his last books, and that completed the New Testament. Now, that is roughly what is happening leading up to the New Testament and then through the New Testament. Let me say a little bit about the land that Jesus came to. Jesus came to a very small country. When we think of Palestine, when we think of Israel, we often think of a big, mighty nation. It's not. Jesus came to a, a, a homeland that was about a fourth the size of Arkansas. Take Arkansas, divide it up into four equal parts. One part would be about the size of the homeland that Jesus came to. Now, when I say homeland, I'm talking about Judea in the south. I'm talking about Galilee in the north. And since he did some teaching in Samaria, I'm including Samaria also. So Galilee, Samaria, and Judea together would be about a fourth the size of Arkansas. Now, as I've already mentioned, it's important because of the intersection of the two major trade routes, okay? It was tiny by international standards, but it was an important area for the world. Because if you control that area of the world, you are controlling the trade. And you want to control those two highways. Now, during his ministry, he never traveled more than 70 miles from his hometown. And that was only one time. Usually his travels were 20 miles, 30 miles, 40 miles. So Jesus didn't travel a lot. 
because the area, the land is not that big. The name Israel, the name Israel for the land that we call the promised land, that name was only used for about 330 years during the time period of the United Kingdom, that's Saul, David, and Solomon, and the divided kingdom. That name was resurrected in 1948. I'll talk about that in just a moment. The Greeks called the land Palestine. And for a long time, that's what people called the land. It was called Palestine because the Greeks knew the Philistine people that had once lived in that area. The Philistine people, we think, came from the Greek islands, okay? They migrated from the Greek islands. So they called the area that we call the Promised Land, they called it Palestine. Rome followed. They called it Palestine also. Israel was, uh, the name was uh, resurrected in 1948, the United Nations, um, basically gave the um, Jewish survivors of the Second War, the survivors of the Holocaust, they gave them a land, they gave them a nation. Trouble was, there was people living there already, okay? And the people living there didn't want to leave. We're talking about the Arab people, so we've had hostilities ever since then. Jesus, Jesus was born into occupied land. It was occupied by the Romans. Most Jewish people hated the Romans, but not everybody. The social elite, primarily the Sadducees, they were satisfied because Rome allowed them to be in power. And they kind of like, like being in power, okay? So they kind of like the Roman people. But most Jewish people did not like the Romans. Which one of Jesus' apostles especially did not like the Romans? By the way, I forgot. If you have any questions, if you got any questions, please uh, let me know. And... Uh, I will be glad to uh, voice it and put it on the, uh, on the Facebook class. Which one of Jesus' apostles would definitely would have hated the Romans? Hint, he was a zealot. Simon. Simon. Who were the zealots? The zealots were a group of people that usually kept a dagger underneath their cloak. And when they would see a Roman, maybe a soldier, maybe a Roman politician, out and about, they look one way, they look other way. If there's no soldiers around them, they would kill them. They would assassinate Roman soldiers, Roman citizens, because they wanted to eliminate Rome. So we've got Jesus, he's in a, in a land that's occupied, and you got a lot of hostilities going on between people. At this time, the role of the rabbis was elevated. Now, go back to the Old Testament. 
We had to focus first on the kings. The focus was on the kings. Saul, David, Solomon. When the divided kingdom happened, the focus kind of turned more to the prophets. To the prophets. Later on, the focus kind of turned more to the priest. But by the time that Jesus had his earthly ministry, the focus was off of the priest and more on the rabbis than what was a rabbi. A rabbi was a teacher, usually a traveling teacher. And usually he would have a people, group of people that would follow him and uh, they would listen to him teach. And uh, he had his kind of his uh, entourage, you know, he had his following. The rabbis became the dominant force for Judaism. They started writing, and they had a lot of writings. The Pharisees, the leading source of the rabbis, the Pharisees, they really started to elevate all of those teachings of the rabbis. So you've got the Old Testament law here, God's law, but then you have all these rabbis and their teachings and their teachings and their teachings. And pretty soon, they're looking at the teachings as being as important as God's word. Their customs, their traditions were over here in the teachings, not in God's law. So in other words, what they did is they added to it. They added to God's law. They added to God's law and they had all these teachings. And we're going to see Jesus and what he says about that. And he says, that's not what God intended. I'll go ahead and, and jump ahead a little bit. Jesus says, that's not what God intended. Now, the Jewish rabbis, they saw the, the Roman occupation as the time for the arrival of the anointed one the Messiah, the Hebrew word, written as Messiah. This word translated in Greek is Christos, the Christ. That word was not a name. It uh, eventually became a name that Christians would use for Jesus. But actually, Christ is a title. He is the Messiah. The more proper way you would say Jesus, the Christ, not Jesus Christ, okay? When I was a little boy, when I was a little boy, a preacher one time said that no one knew the last name of Jesus, that Jesus did not have a last name. Mark, I said, I know what Jesus' last name is. I was just a little guy. It's Christ. Everybody knows that, you know. It's Joseph Christ and Mary Christ. It's a Christ family, and they had, you know, Jesus, and that's Jesus Christ. Christ is not a name. It's uh, actually, it is a title. Now, as I said, Alexander the Great really changed everything. The big thing to remember about Alexander the Great is the introduction of Koine Greek language because that made a big, big difference. The very best human language ever created was available for the writers of the New Testament. So very, very important on that. 
already, already mentioned. Okay, Alan. I'm going to run back here. Okay. okay. <laughs> that could be right there. That could be it. I've already mentioned the uh, Maccabee revolt. We've already mentioned that. The two brothers, how they, uh, how they argued and eventually invited Rome in. We've already mentioned that. Oh, I didn't mention this. Uh, Herod. Herod's family. Uh, Herod was a Edomite. He was uh, from uh, Edomedia. That means he was a descendant of Jacob's brother Esau, the Edomites. The Hasmonean dynasty actually forced those people to convert to the Jewish religion or die. And men, that's a hard thing to do, okay? You think about that for a second. That really created some more hostilities between the Edomites and the Jewish people. Herod's father was, of course, the first one, and Herod the Great followed in his, uh, in his shoes. Oh, by the way, I want to mention this too. How did Herod secure his position? Herod was always scared that someone was going to take away the throne from him. He was always scared. He secured his position by killing 45 nobles, most of the Sanhedrin, he killed Hyacarus, uh, he killed his wife, he killed uh, his wife's mother, he killed his own brother, he killed two of his sons, and he killed a third son by another wife. All for the purpose of securing his position. He was a crazy man. He was not a good guy at all. Now, uh, as I've said, he was given the title of great for his building programs. I already mentioned that. And that completes this. I do want to pull out a couple of things off of the paper that you will get up here eventually when you come up here after class. I want to mention this. Do we have any writings between the Old Testament and the New Testament? Yes and no. We do have what's called the apocryphal writings. The apocryphal writings uh, started around 300 B.C. The last book was written around 100 A.D. Those books were never accepted by the Jewish people. They never appeared in the Jewish Bible. And most Christians rejected them. If you want to see that, if you want to see what we're talking about, all you got to do is pick up a Catholic Bible, okay? The Catholic Bible has it, but uh, that's about it. Um, those books are interesting to read, but they're just interesting. They're not scripture. They're not divinely inspired. They're not from God. Uh, they do give us a little insight into Jewish life. You might remember that last week I mentioned... Does anyone remember me mentioning the um, uh, Gentile proselyte baptism. I mentioned that in my sermon. The one thing that I failed to mention was that is not, of course, in the Bible. It's not in the Bible at all. That is in some of these books, okay? Some of these uh, custom books. That was a custom 
that the Jewish people had adopted, that if a Gentile wanted to become a Jewish proselyte, that that Gentile person would have to go through baptism. That, you won't find that in the Old Testament. You won't find that in the New Testament. That is in some of these writings that happen between the Testaments. But keep in mind, those writings are not divinely inspired. Now, the second thing I want to mention. Jesus came into a world. He came into a promised land that was not very... Well, not very religious. The Jewish people went through the motions. They would go to the temple. They would go at the assigned times to pray. But they were not that dedicated to God's word. The Pharisees, in spite of all the additions they added to God's word, which were certainly wrong, the Pharisees were probably the best at trying to keep the old law, but even the Pharisees failed greatly. So Jesus came into a world where you might remember Malachi gives us a lot of warnings about what will happen if we don't get this, this boat turned around and don't, if we don't get worshiping God the right way. Well, they had not got the boat turned around. They were still worshiping the wrong way. They were not keeping the, keeping the feast like they should. They were not keeping the law as they should. And they were not really very religious. That's one of the reasons why when John the Baptist comes on the scene, what does John preach? Uh, Mark chapter 1 verse 4, he preaches a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins because the people had a lot of sins in their life. If the people are going to be prepared for the coming of the true Messiah, Jesus the Christ, they needed to start thinking about turning their lives around, getting more focused on God and what God is all about. Now, what I want you to do is after class, pick up one of these sheets and this gives you a kind of a narrative of what we talked about tonight. What we're going to be doing beginning next Wednesday, Lord willing, we're going to start going through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John chronologically. We're going to look at what happens first, second, third, fourth, all the way to the resurrection. We're going to look at it. We're going to combine all four books together, okay? We're going to kind of take Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and kind of mash them together. And we're going to then present the story in a chronological time frame. We're going to do the same thing on Bible Study Challenge. Because of that, Bible Study Challenge will now extend into March. Uh, Bible Study Challenge will not wrap up until early March because the uh, chronological time frame is going to kind of stretch it out a little bit. But we're going to look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as one book, the gospel. Then when we get into Acts, we'll go back and then we'll just be on the books. Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, like that. But Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we're going to have it all as one. Okay. So next week, next week, we start with the introduction 
That's primarily John chapter 1. Then we're going to look at the birth of Jesus and what happens about going to Egypt, coming back, and what happens at age 12. And then we're going to begin the earthly ministry of Jesus. On your Bible study challenge, just for your knowledge, I'll mention this. On the Bible study challenge, we're going to break it down into seven main parts. We're going to look at the early life. We're going to look at the birth, the early life. Then we're going to look at year one of ministry, year two of ministry, year three of ministry. Then we're going to look at the arrest and the trial. Then we're going to look at the crucifixion. Then we'll look at the resurrection and what follows after the resurrection. That's going to be seven main parts of the gospel. That's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, I've got two minutes. Did anyone send me a question? Oh, I've got a question. Fantastic. Was this baptism the only time Jews dealt with baptism? Oh, wonderful question. Okay. When, um, when, uh, when John came on the scene preaching baptism, uh, that was not a new concept. As I said, according to the Jewish customs, according to their history, the Gentile people, to become a Jewish proselyte, would practice baptism to enter in and become a Jewish proselyte. Keep in mind, that's not in the Bible, that's Jewish history. Also, the people called the Essenes. Now, who were the Essenes? The Essenes were the people that we call, you know, you've heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls. The Dead Sea Scrolls, very important find there. Those scrolls were done by the Essenes. The Essenes were kind of like a hermit-like people that moved out into the Dead Sea area and lived by themselves. To become a member of the Essene community, you had to go through baptism, okay? So the Jewish people knew about baptism. They knew that the Gentiles, to become a Jewish proselyte, would have to be baptized. They knew that the Essenes... And the Essenes were a very sizable group, very sizable group. Their compound, uh, I've been to their compound, or what the remains of their compound. Their compound would cover, you take this building, multiply it by about five times, and that was their compound out there in the middle of the Dead Sea area. Uh, so a very large group of people. To become a member of the Essene community, you had to be baptized. So um, the Jewish people knew about baptism, but it was something that they, for the most part, had not done. You know, they knew about ritual cleaning. They knew about purification. But in terms of being baptized, that's something that Gentiles did or that's something that those crazy Essenes did and not us. And it's amazing because Mark... Mark says that all of Jerusalem and Judea was coming to John to be baptized. Now, we know that is a literary liberty there. We know that not everybody was coming. We understand that. It's kind of like when you say your car is running hot. Is your car really running hot or is it the engine? Okay, probably the engine is running hot. The steering wheel, the seats, uh, the trunk is all cool. But we say the car is running hot. We understand what we mean. When Mark says that all 
Mark chapter 1, all of Jerusalem, all of Judea was coming out to John to be baptized. We understand that's a literary liberty for him to say that. But John was very successful. It's amazing. And what does that tell me? That tells me that down deep in their hearts, they were ready for a change. And you think about it. 3,000 people on the day of Pentecost, and then we've got 5,000, and then what? It's multiplying, and the church is just booming. Why? Because the people knew. The people knew that they were wrong. And because they knew they were wrong. Oh, yeah, and Tim, that's another good point. Uh, also, the ritual cleanings in the milkvas. Um, people always ask me, how in the world could you baptize 3,000 people in Jerusalem one day? It's easy because there was milkvas everywhere. Uh, the Jewish people would, uh, to, in, in going into the temple area, they would go through this ritual cleaning. So it wasn't uh, a baptism as such, but they were, you know, immersed in water, okay? They were, they went through, they would walk down into it and then walk up out of it, okay? It was kind of like a little bath there. And that was uh, to symbolically wash themselves so they would be presented clean in the temple. So uh, I do appreciate that, Tim. Appreciate that a, a whole lot. And uh, I don't see anything else. So I hope I answered your question. So uh, as baptism, as we know it, they didn't know it, but they did know about purifications and all that. We're out of time. Don't forget your pens. If you need a pen, grab them. I buy them for one purpose, to give them away. And do definitely grab these uh, lesson outlines up here. And the class is dismissed.